The American Petroleum Institute, driving safety, environmental protection, and sustainability across the natural gas and oil industry through world-class standards and safety programs. Since its formation as a standard-setting organization in 1919, API has developed more than 800 standards to enhance industry operations worldwide. Find out more at api.org. Welcome to ESG Energize, where we discuss the latest developments in the environmental, social, and governance arena that are impacting the energy industry today. Here is your host, Delfina Govia. This is Delfina Govia, your busy business boss, executive, strategist, and transformational leader, whose mission on this show is to educate, engage, and energize the global community on topics of sustainability and ESG. ESG Energized audience, today we're coming to you from Galveston, Texas, where we are at the Women's Offshore Conference, and I just had the privilege of being on a panel on the topic of sustainability with Danielle Southcott, who is the CEO of Veer. Danielle, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm absolutely thrilled to be here. Danielle is a very, very, very brave person because, ESG audience, she is a self-proclaimed tree hugger. <laughs> she, she is unashamedly... In Galveston. In Gal- <laughs> <laughs> and she is brave to come on the ESG Energize show in, in that capacity and as the CEO of Veer. So let's start off first. Tell us what Veer is, and then I want to know a little bit more about you, because just talking on a panel, you don't really get to know somebody as well. So we want to get to know you a little bit more. Well, thank you. And I have to say that, you know, it feels good to have finally come out and just told the world, I'm a tree hugger. (laughs) (laughs) I normally don't start my presentations like that. But so what is Veer? Veer is a new startup company in shipping and energy, and we are going to be building the first clean container ship to cross an ocean. And when I say clean, I mean absolute zero emissions as defined by the International Maritime Organization. Okay, so we are going to circle back to that because I'm going to pick that thing apart. <laughs> and uh, Danielle had, had used a, a wonderful slide during the presentation. Obviously, you can't see that on the podcast, but she used a wonderful slide in the presentation to really dig into what she means by clean. So we're going to get back to that. But the question that I really have for you, Danielle, what the heck? Why? Why, why Why? this venture? Why doing this? Tell us your story that got you here. Well, I think before I get into my story, I think why, why is Veer important? Why am I driven to do this? Is that I'm personally driven to prove that it can be done, that we can have industrial-sized vessels crossing the ocean with no emissions. We can do it today using the technology we have. That doesn't even come from a tree hugger background. That just comes from a sense of kind of wanting to show people that they can do it and make people believe. So why now? Of course, climate, uh, you know, there's so many reasons, but I'm driven to prove that this can be done and to show people that it could have already been done. Um, But to get into my background a little bit, I'm from the Great Lakes region of Canada. So I'm from 30 minutes north of Kingston, Ontario, where I started sailing on the tall ship St. Lawrence 2 at age 13. Oh, wow. And I basically never looked back. <laughs> <laughs> well, how did that happen? How did you start doing that? 
it's a summer camp and it currently operates you should definitely check it out and my grandmother signed all the cousins up when we were old enough to go and I think you know all my other cousins just kind of went through it maybe they went back for a second summer and I got hooked way more than my parents ever could have imagined (laughs) they're like she likes it too much this backfired (laughs) were you like the little kid that uh, instead of asking for a pony you were asking for your own sail ship so I am so spoiled. I literally said goodbye to my pony that I had. He's, oh his my name God. was Cole. Yeah. <laughs> and I went away for the summers. I was gone and I started sailing internationally on tall ships when I was 16 years old. Wonderful. Okay. So back to your story. <laughs> oh, well, with v- I mean, my story is, is, is a little bit crazy. I mean, I have a sail endorsed master's license for... 200 tons, which in the sailing community actually means something, even though probably to the listeners here, 200 tons is like nothing. Um, But so I worked on sailing ships all over the world from the Royal Omani Navy vessel Shabab Oman to the Gorge Falk, which is also a Navy ship, and to to the flagship of uh, Barbados, which is Schooner Ruth, which I actually was captain of the launch for. Oh, wow. So to be clear, these are all engineless vessels. No, no, no. A lot of them are, but not all of them. So they're all primary wind propulsion. And that's a distinction you'll hear more and more with classification societies. Is a vessel primary wind or auxiliary wind? Um, but some of them are engineless. So the Tres Hombres, I sailed across the ocean a couple of times on that vessel of the Atlantic Ocean with cargo. And uh, we loaded 18,000 bottles of rum in the Dominican Republic and sailed across the ocean and Unloaded almost as many bottles <laughs> uh, okay. in France, and that was completely engineless. Fantastic. Yeah, so um, who, was, who was the main culprit behind, behind the missing bottles? You know, I don't remember. My memory gets a little <laughs> foggy. <laughs> so then fast forward us to Veer. Yeah, so after working in the niche or boutique sailing cargo world on Fair Transport and Timber Coast and Sail Cargo Incorporated, which I'm the founder of, I really wanted to get to answer the question that the clients wanted. So people that were talking to me representing companies, they wanted to ship clean, but they needed it to be in containers. They also wanted the vessel to be fast. And I tried to tell them so many times look, you don't need a fast vessel because the container ships sit in port anyway for two weeks. So it doesn't matter if our vessel's a little bit slower because we don't have to wait in line. And then I realized I was breaking a cardinal rule, which is the customer is always right. Mm. And so I said, wait a minute, the customer is always right. Let me give them a fast, clean container ship. And that's what Veer is. Why do you say, so for the somebody like myself that is ignorant, um, why do you say that we don't have to wait in line? So one of the major bottlenecks that has been identified in the container shipping industry is the port infrastructure. And so those large vessels, whether they have 10,000 TEU or they have 24,000 TEU, they are typically going to be waiting in line to use the port infrastructure. So unloading and loading of the containers. And in busy ports, whether that's Hamburg or, well, we, we see different reasons, but of course in the Panama Canal and other places, they can be waiting in line for up to two weeks. Well, we saw all of the pictures during the pandemic of, of the ships waiting outside of Long Beach, mm-hmm. that it was just endless. 
Yeah, it's crazy. So if you have a vessel that is not dependent on the port infrastructure to load and unload your cargo, you don't have to wait in line. So are you talking about with Veer? So let's paint a let's paint a picture for the audience. Um, since we don't have the benefit of of slides and videos, what is the the TEU capacity of a ship that you're talking about now? Yeah. So let me describe what the ship looks like. So, yeah, that would help. So we're talking here about a sailing vessel. So this is a mean sailing machine. This is kind of, if you were to look at the latest, as in 1930s, sailing ships. So these are not pirate ships, but it would be around 330 feet long and 200, over 200 feet tall, a three-masted ship. And if you were to, if you, if you look up vessels like the Pamir and the Peking, like these beautiful, majestic tall ships, and then you brought it to a little bit of a space age kind of super yacht look so this is very clean freestanding rig there's no ropes that are visible no wires no standing rigging that is visible carbon fiber masts but it's still that square sail technology so you kind of have a futuristic looking tall ship and that's what we have that's what veer is so it's around 330 feet long and will be capable of carrying just 152 containers but this is still commercially viable and one of the most beautiful things I think about this vessel is that because it's designed from the ground up to work with renewable energy, that is the wind and the waves, you actually get a aesthetically very beautiful ship, as opposed to some of the more industrial ships that are working with mechanical propulsion. And so we have these sort of sleek look about the vessel, but at the same time, it's all form over, it's all function over form, even if it does look beautiful. So clearly there has to be a battery storage component to this. Am I right? Yes. Okay, could you talk about Yes, that? absolutely. So we are classified as a primary wind propulsion. So our, our main engine is the sails, but we do have auxiliary propeller, like auxiliary propulsion as well. We will be using green hydrogen in ga- uh, gaseous form, and this will go through hydrogen fuel cells and then to an electric motor. We will also have a battery bank for peak shaving and energy balancing. We will, if the wind were to never blow, which it does, uh, we would have a range of 1,200 nautical miles just under green hydrogen alone. So this is sort of like going from Jamaica to New York. Okay, so that's pretty... It's pretty. It's a pretty good distance, yeah. What is the use for a vessel that is considerably smaller than the giant container ships that we see? This is such an exciting question because we are learning about this every day because this is a vessel that would typically be called a feeder ship. So we might do short sea shipping or coastal shipping or, you know, trans shipping, taking uh, containers from one port to a secondary or tertiary smaller port. And, and we absolutely are in conversations about that, especially around the North Sea and the Black Sea and the Mediterranean. Having said that, given the fact that we essentially don't need to pay very much at all for our fuel, this creates a different set of parameters that allows our ship to sail long distances, like across the entire Atlantic Ocean, and still be financially viable. One of the most exciting things is when we start talking about, I'll call them like a mid-range size client that would normally have to charter or put uh, put containers 
on a large ship. So they, you know, it's a medium sized vessel, maybe client, maybe they're, they're normally moving 150 containers, but they're just, they're just on board a very large vessel. All of a sudden that client has a lot more purchasing power and power to dictate over which ports we go to because they charter our whole ship. And so all of a sudden, these medium-sized clients that want to bring their ESG commitments to the forefront of their company are able to do so with us because we essentially become their flagship. Ah, okay. So instead of just um, purchasing space on a cargo ship where you really don't have any control over the associated emissions with that ship, where your only option would be to perhaps uh, sign some sort of a, a contract for biofuels or use carbon offsets to offset that journey, you now can uh, in contract an entire Veer vessel mm-hmm. for your cargo, and you are guaranteed that emission-free Absolute journey. zero emission. Our only emission is pure water vapor hmm. from okay. the fuel cells. Yeah, so that's exactly right, is that these these companies can now look at us and, you know, a lot of these companies, whether they're fashion, their shoes, they're whatever it is, you know, furniture companies, they wish that they could just snap their fingers and have clean shipping, truly clean shipping that they were proud of, but that's out of their control. I've heard them say it so many times. And so... All of a sudden, if there are vessels that are within their capability to charter and they don't have to ask a lot of questions because we are committed to zero combustion, that's really exciting for them. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, they have a whole new part of their supply chain that they're proud of. They're extremely proud to say, wow, we're going to be shipping absolutely clean. By the way, it's beautiful. Check this ship out. So that's exciting. But then the other side of the question is got to be, the economic viability of all of this, right? If you know shipping is a a piece of of our supply chain, our value chain that has an associated cost to it, what are they? What are the trade offs from sustainability to the cost of the shipping? So, thank you for asking that because that's one of the most important questions, and. According to our financial projections, which we have spent years developing, we should be equal or cheaper. And this does depend on which route, and we have to examine which route we're talking about. But, you know, there's different figures and there's different things you can cite, so some people might disagree with me here. But the cost of operational expenses for most vessels can be up to 60% for their fuel. And because our vessel is primary wind, we only use the hydrogen when we really need to, we just slash that cost. It's gone. And so while some of my investors are saying, you and my friends, frankly, at the bar are saying, <laughs> you have got to charge a premium. And they say, you know, this is a premium service. You have to charge a premium. We might do that. But right now, I'm confident to say that we don't have to. We can compete. Okay. What about the operation of the ship? Is there a... Config, a crew configuration that we should be envisioning and how that compares to 
a different type of vessel. So one thing to remember is that our ship is actually quite small compared to the largest container ship in the world that you can picture, right? So per container compared to the largest container ship in the world, we have a lot of crew. But if you were to just compare us to a normal ship of the same size, we can have fewer crew. So we could have a manning certificate as low as eight people. So because due to the fact that we do not have a combustion engine, we are not required to have an engineer at all, which is one of the most highest paid jobs as well. I personally kind of want an engineer on board because we have, you know, whether it's the mass rotation unit or it's these other things, you know, there's a lot of things engineers do. It's not just the engine room, but we do not require any additional personnel for this vessel. Okay, so I'm going to share something with the ESG audience that some people know and, and but most people don't know. This is the first time I have made an exception to my rule that startup companies that don't yet have their product or service in production and already funded and operating, the first time I'm actually allowing somebody to come <laughs> on the show and because she does not yet have uh, a ship built. So... What is um, that's how excited I am about, about I'm like this smi- topic. You guys can't see, but I'm smiling from ear yeah, to she, ear. Right she's now. grinning from <laughs> ear to ear. So I, I definitely made an exception. Uh, I get calls all the time. People want to talk about their startup, and da, 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 da. I'm like, yeah, no. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Come back when you've got something real to talk about. Come back when you've got all the money there, and you're you've got all your plans and your engineering and your permits and da da da, and you're constructing something or what have you. Well, so, our next our next episode can be on board. There. That's right. That's right. <laughs> You have to invite me to come back. So what's the timeline on this? So wonderful idea, wonderful thoughts, beautiful picture painted in my head. What's the timeline? We have submitted our tender packages to shipyards. Like if, if you guys could see how big my smile is right now, <laughs> this has been a huge milestone. So we will receive bids from shipyards back on November 30th. So that means at that point, we can begin to put the cards on the table and see what's really in front of us about which shipyard we want to go with, why, and what are some of those other questions that we are able to answer. So as I always say, if everything falls magically into place, fingers crossed, we would even be signing a construction contract Q1 next year. When you choose, this is the million dollar question, Danielle, (laughs) to see if you really truly are a tree hugger. (laughs) When you choose that shipyard, it better not be based solely on cost. That, no, absolutely. So cost is pretty much the main driver, given that we are looking primarily at shipyards in Europe, which have an inherent high standard, if that makes sense, for the social and economic and environmental regulations that are within those shipyards. So those are inherent considerations. Um, but we ha- are circulating a, oh, I don't know what you would call it. I'm losing the words. But, but you know, um, a statement that the shipyards have to agree to for social considerations. So you're definitely taking the social aspect in, yes. into consideration yes. and how they treat, how the shipyards treat their employees, how they treat the community. Yes. Uh, and, wonderful. of course, it is challenging to go into, I'll call it scope three, uh, not emissions. What would you call it? Scope three effect or social social considerations. But... Uh, that is something we want to do. Because when I talk about clean energy, I think people normally think that I'm only talking about 
force or propulsive power or energy, like a kinetic energy, electric energy. But I'm talking about all of the energy involved in this project. And that includes the social and how you affect people and the energy they bring to the table and the energy that your company establishes your, as your corporate culture. And so when I use the word energy, it's an all-inclusive use of that word. Hmm. Okay, so let's, then you reminded me to come back to the topic of clean energy. And when you're talking about, remind me, and so we can, I can maybe help you get across to my audience, when you put that slide up at the conference of the different types of clean, whether it's clean, not clean, and gray and green and all of the colors, and just break that out for us as to how you got to determining that this really was a clean vessel. Yes, that is, it's, it, I'm not afraid to admit that I find it really challenging. Like my dad is a chemical engineer and I still, and I like, man, reading between the lines of what does clean mean? What does blue and green and yellow and you get lost. It is. It's crazy. You get lost. Yeah. And we're, you know, I talk about, I'm going to call it like a, it's not a rainbow because they use every other color, but it's a kaleidoscope of colors and it's challenging to get through it. But I really spent some energy and time trying to figure it out. And for me, what I mean is absolute zero greenhouse gas emissions. Now to the people who are real sticklers, you will point out that water vapor is a greenhouse gas. And I agree, but I'm, what I'm talking about is really any negative emissions whatsoever. And so I'm not here to point fingers. I'm not here to say anything or weigh whatever. I'm talking about chemical formula of what we're, what we're dealing with here. And so zero carbon is what I'm committed to. And as well, uh, anything else that would be considered a, a toxic greenhouse gas. And so when people talk about carbonless, zero carbon fuel, and they talk about ammonia, it's very interesting because they're right. That, that, that verbiage, that nomenclature is correct. There's zero carbon. But NH3, ammonia, uh, has other greenhouse gases, of course, um, with ni- uh, nitrogen involved, that can be close to 300 times more potent greenhouse gas. And so even though that's a zero carbon fuel, it, it doesn't count for me as clean. And basically, I, I put Danielle's golden rule, because I like to, the KISS method, keep it simple, stupid. Mm-hmm. If combustion is involved, it's not clean. So if, if combustion is involved... It's not clean. Yeah. Okay. That's a very simple rule to follow. Very simple. Yeah. And that's not passing judgment. I'm not saying if it's not clean, it's not good. I'm just saying this is a rule of thumb that you can use. And so this is a real kicker that I'd like to help people understand is even if you use green hydrogen in a combustion engine, it's not clean because it mixes with the air. And then you have these other gases like nitrogen is in the air. And so then you have negative emissions. And again, I'm not here to say that something needs to be perfect to be right. I'm just trying to get to the bottom of what does this color code mean and what do these fuels mean? And basically I come to only green hydrogen used in fuel cells or renewable energy in batteries. And that's not including the scope three emission of the technology that's used. Okay, I understand. If it's combu- if it if if it's combustion, it's not clean. Does that mean it's bad? I'm not here to judge. It's not my place to to say that. So now I'm going to roll back around to, um, you know, we've been joking about you being a tree hugger, but <laughs> this is correct me if I'm wrong. This is not philanthropic. 
This is a business. You're right. You're, you're, you're absolutely correct. This is a for-profit capitalist business model. And as somebody who's been a volunteer close to it for over 10 years of my life, I make that choice extremely intentionally because I want to show a for-profit business that can have a triple bottom line. Love it. Financial, social, and environmental. Triple bottom line. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Okay, so short-term vision and long-term vision for Veer. Short-term vision would be getting some ships on the water, specifically starting with two vessels, putting them into operation. So those are the two that you're hearing back from the shipyards from? Yes. You've got two going. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. So excited about that. November 30th. We're going to have to stay in touch. <laughs> well, we just get the quotes back then, and then we got to put the cards on the table and see what happens next. Um, and then a long-term vision is really to bring a fresh, creative, curious, an inquisitive outlook to shipping and to energy. And so in a less abstract terms, I would say I would love to expand the fleet, Veer's fleet, uh, and have additional vessels, additional designs, as well as, as additional vessels of this design, but then roll out other technologies that we have come up with, such as different innovations in containers, hull forms, sail technology, whatever, and put them to use in our own fleet, as well as go out into the market, find all those other efficient, clean technology innovations and say, let's use them on our fleet. Maybe you haven't found a shipping company that's ready to, to receive your, your product or your technology yet, but I promise you, if it increases efficiency, Veer will. Fantastic. So this is not just looking at it um, in on, on a, on a two-plane parameter, but you're looking at it kind of three-dimensional all around and what are the different ways that we can find innovations to build into this business model absolutely and and just always coming back to if i were to start with a completely blank slate and i imagine the best possible solution i can imagine what would it be and that's the kind of outlook i want to have isn't that beautiful (laughs) to be able to have that opportunity to do that but that's not to say that we can't take baby steps in some other area as well to, to move forward. Yeah, and it's, I mean, there's there's this visionary long-term outlook, and it's not that long-term but that I'm talking about, but then there is the reality of, of the infrastructure that exists today and the heavy, tangible assets that we rely on, even just to make this podcast, like, that exists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay, so let's wrap this up, Danielle, and I'm going to have you answer really, a, uh, I hope you're, I know your game, I know your game, <laughs> um, dif- a difficult question. We all know in this world that there are, are basically seven shipping companies that control uh, the seas. What is your message to them? I would probably have a twofold message. And as somebody who's seen as a disruptor and, uh, you know, someone who's here to shake things up and talk about clean energy, I want those large shipping companies to know that I see them and a part of me really respects them and understands the investment they have in place, the work and the energy that's been put in place to get there and how massive those industries are and those companies are. And, and I, how important they are to our world economy, right? Everything. How important everything. they are. Okay. I would not be here in Galveston if it wasn't for, for them. Yeah. For what, yeah, what they put in place and the infrastructure around us. And... I understand that they can't just pivot 
or veer at the snap of fingers and people say demand, oh, they should be clean by 2030. I understand that that's very challenging. And so I don't really ask it of them. But at the same time, I would ask them to do just a little bit more, to just think outside of the proverbial and literal box, whether it's the container or the ship or the box in your mind, just put a little bit more energy into surprising us because they have the resources, they have the creativity, they have the money, and they have the whole R&D sectors for innovation. And I would just love for them to put something out that just makes us sit back and say, wow, that's what the future is going to look like. Because they have it, the capability to do that. And, and yeah, I would love to see them do that. I think that they might also suffer from the same thing that we suffer in the oil industry, where we're not about, I mean, think about container ships. Do you really think that they have a public relations and marketing department going, <laughs> oh, use our big giant ship? I mean, it's just not part of their DNA, no, no. right? So they, we, and that's how we are in the oil industry. So I'm, I'm probably guessing that they've got things that they're working on, but they just keep it quiet and under wraps because they're not about being flashy mm-hmm. and, um, you know, just. And I totally understand that. And I know yeah. that that's something different that Veer does, but I think people kind of need it. They need to be excited. Yeah. They need to be energized. They need some hope. They need to, yeah, they need to have like a North Star to go towards. And if if people are just caught up in what color is the fuel and the ammonia and the thing and this and that, and it, it's kind Snore. of... Snore. Yeah, it's a bit much, <laughs> you know. And I wish they would say, well, you know, we're working on something tangible today, but this is what we're going to unroll, unveil tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. So Wonderful. I think people kind of need that hope. So Danielle, how do we have people get in touch with you? How can people take a look at? I've I've looked at the website. I've also seen pictures here at uh, at the conference. This is a really beautiful vessel to to take a look at the the drawings, the renderings that that she has. So how can we have people direct people to a website? Yes, please check out www.veer.voyage. Um, you can also reach out to us at hello. Uh, hello at veer.voyage and and on uh, LinkedIn and social media, Instagram, veer.voyage. So please check us out and follow us. Um, I don't post too much publicly, just like you were saying, those shipping companies don't post too much publicly, but we do send out a newsletter. So that's where I do share a little bit more. So you can sign up on our website. I'm going to put that in the show notes for everybody. Danielle, thank you for being my very first tree hugger on the show. You've broken all of I've my got rules. Two firsts. You yeah. got two first. Yes, you've broken all of my rules. It has been a sincere pleasure to have somebody that's this really innovative, just thrown her whole heart and soul into this. And one of the things that I've noticed, ladies and gentlemen, is that Danielle has found a way to take what she loves and put it into the sustainability space and make a life and a career out of it that's going to benefit us all. So thank you for that. Oh, that's so kind. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm really grateful. And especially to have two firsts. Thank that's you right. so much. Join us again next week on the ESG Energized Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com.